exhorted to one another, one another. In the original or Greek language, it's just the word alelos. It means one another, but over 50 times with about 17 or 18 different kinds of exhortations, we are told to one another, one another. And so this morning, we're going to look at four of these uh, particular one another's. And as we're growing up in Christ, sometimes you go to a church and they just are telling you, this is what it says, this is what you need to do. And so I grew up in a church where I got a lot of what, but I began to ask questions like, well, how do I do this? How do I do this? When I went to John Brown through uh, Bible school there for, for my four-year degree, um, lots of knowledge, lots of good things. But when I went on to seminary, I chose a master's of ministry rather than a master's of theology or, or other things, all good, because the master's of ministry was all about this is how you apply the Word of God. This is how you learn to live it and do it. This is how you construct, if you will, teaching models that equip people to do it. And I was really interested in how to learn to do it myself and then how to help other people learn to do what God says. So do you see the church as a parts store? Do you see the church as a Votech class? Or do you see the church as a functioning engine or motor? And the answer to that is yes. See, sometimes we're just at a place where we're, we're teaching you and it's like building carburetors or building fuel pumps and they're in the shelves and you need to have those things but it's not just for the purpose of being a part in the shelf one of the things that began to really rise in the 60s and is, is full-blown in our culture and it, it are votech schools they may call them other things now schools of technology and this sort of thing but they actually take the parts and they teach them how to put them together and build an engine build a motor and then how to actually set it or stab it into the car and how to be able to get in and drive, make it work. So what we're learning to do is what God says, how to do that, and then how to step out and begin to live what God has called us to do. The culture at Church Alive has three phases, and I just wanted to mention this as again. We're helping people identify who God's made you to be and form those things. We are equipping people because that fivefold ministry, those functions of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, are to equip the saints for the work of service. See, it's application-oriented. And so the word equip has to do with setting broken bones or mending holes and nets. And when people come to Christ, even though they're forgiven in a new creation, they often bring residue and baggage, and we're helping people get rid of the baggage, set the broken bones, mend the holes in their nets so that they become really useful. Now, have any of you ever had this experience? You've gone somewhere and bought a part and taken it home and, and put it in and discovered that it was defective. Any of you ever had that experience? Wow, that's frustrating. See, if we're defective, we're not going to be very useful in the kingdom of God. God is helping us get whole and equipping us. So then as we get equipped, we begin to step into the very destiny for what God made us. We put it to use. So, the church is not a spectator sport. It's not about just coming and sitting. It's about learning and, yes, jumping in here, but also taking these things home and to the workplace and so on. So our focus today is just simply for one another's. And I want to just take you, we're in John chapter 13, to the first one another, love one another. 
And you might be saying, I've heard that before. Love one another. Okay, I love you. I love you. Let's just unpack this for a moment. Jesus said something in verse 34. I want you to notice this. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. I'm like, why is that a new commandment, Lord? You told us several other times leading up to the scripture, love one another. But he puts a qualifier on it, even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. What is new about this commandment? The old commandment was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do you know what the new commandment is? Love your neighbor more than you love yourself. The new commandment is loving people more than we love ourselves. And I think we probably could examine our lives and say, I don't do that very much. But let me give you some characteristics about the love of God. The love of God gives. Have you noticed? For God so loved the world that he gave. The love of God is a giving love. The love of God forgives. How many of you can say this morning, I am so glad that Jesus has forgiven me, and as I come before and he has continued to forgive me, those things are removed. I'm dead to sin. We're glad about forgiveness. But let me give you something else about the love of God. And until the final judgment, the love of God will never give up. The love of God is that I learn to love others more than I love myself. I'm still in the process of that. But I'm learning more and more. The love of God gives, forgives, and never gives up. And you have to walk in the Spirit to do this because my flesh, my flesh, if I'm doing really good, will try about three times. If I'm having a rough day, I might try once. Come on, are you out there? But if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm able to continue to give and forgive and not give up. And I understand that as the blessed of God, I'm a life speaker. I'm speaking life into broken and dead situations. And everything else in the world is death. Jesus is life. And we're speaking and we're living who he is into those situations. And that's part of what the love of God does. Because the love of God, not only more than we love ourselves and gives, forgives, and never gives up, the love of God is sacrificed in action. People have come to me and said, I just really want to learn to love. And I said, then go do it. Go do it. And in the process, the Holy Spirit will teach you how to love because it's sacrificial. Um, somebody mentioned that um, the problem with a living sacrifice, this is Howard Hendricks, is in the Old Testament when they had the sacrifice on the altar, they had these four horns on the corner of the altar and they would tie the sacrifice to the four horns of the altar so it wouldn't crawl off the altar. The struggle you and I have as believers is God doesn't tie us to the four horns. He asks us to surrender and submit willfully. And the problem with a living sacrifice is we want to crawl off the altar. It gets hot. It confronts me. It confronts you. And we get to a place where that's enough. And the Lord says, no, go a little further. You see, what I've noticed in my 40 years of pastoring, I wrote, I, I, I didn't write it, I read a book by Andrew Murray called Absolute Surrender back in the 70s, and he said that before you can be totally committed to Christ, you have to totally surrender to Christ. And what's happening is sometimes we want to commit without having given the Lord really our flesh. 
And then we try to get religious in our commitment, and it doesn't work. And what the Lord's asking is that we come and die to the past. And that's part of what love does. What an interesting instrument that God would use, the instrument of love, to kill my flesh. You say, well, I don't Just go start loving somebody that's been an enemy, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> start praying for them. Start being good to them. Start loving someone that's been a challenge or an annoyance, and you'll understand what it means that the love of God confronts our flesh. Okay? So, what you have to do is faith it, don't fake it. And here's what I'm saying. I know God wants me to love and to forgive, but sometimes I don't feel like it. How many of you would say, sometimes I don't feel like it? <laughs> and what the Lord says is, take those feelings under captivity. Bring them under submission. Because we don't live by how we feel. We live by faith in the Son of God. One of my confessions every day is I am dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some days I feel reasonably dead to sin. There are other days when I am wrestling. But it doesn't change the truth because I have dominion in partnership with Jesus over those things. Some days are just a little more challenging than others, but I'm learning to believe what God says by faith until it becomes stronger reality in my experience, and I'm not faking it. Sometimes people say, well, I don't feel like it, and if I do it, I'm faking it. No, what you're doing is not living by emotion. You're living by faith, trusting God to line up who you are with his word and his will. And in the process of that, you will learn to surrender. That's the point. That's point one, love one another. So here's the next one, serve one another. Would you go to Galatians 5, and let's look at verse 13. So if you've got your electronic device, punch in Galatians. If you have a hard copy, you're going to go several books to the right, right after 2 Corinthians, Galatians 5. This is what it says. For you were called to freedom, brethren. I love freedom in Christ. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So if I'm going to walk in love, part of what that's going to begin to express itself in is genuine service to other people. Just help me by answering a question. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, how do you do that? Being the servant of all. I was invited to speak at a leadership meeting Friday with about six or seven other ministries, and I spoke on servant leadership. And I want to remind you of something that the Scripture is full of that Jesus was doing in John 13. Real leadership is not a climb to the top and right under Jesus, King me. Real leadership, real maturity is a race to the bottom and exalting the Lord and really seeing how many people you and I can serve. That's biblical leadership. But, but, but that doesn't feel good. Back to that feel thing again. My ceiling is your floor. I'm trying to live and model and teach that you might be able to go way beyond floor. And so we're to learn to be the chief servants. And so one of the words for servant in this is bond servant. Here's what a bond servant was in the Old Testament. But Paul and you'll see Timothy and others calling themselves bondservant. So you might be an indentured servant. You might be a slave for seven years. You would sell yourself um, to get land or to get freedom or whatever. 
and you would serve a master. And at the end of those seven years, he would give a writ um, that would say that you had paid your debt in full and you were free. But let's suppose you didn't want to be free from your master. You could become a willing bondservant, and this is really painful, the picture of it, but he would draw his people together on his um, ranch or his farm or his vineyard and maybe even from the public, and you would say that I am free to go, but I willingly make myself a bondservant for the rest of my life to this master. And he would pull your earlobe out, and with an awl, a sharp piercing instrument, he would drive your earlobe into the doorpost. Ladies, how about that for pierced ears? Okay. No, thank you. And you would stand there for a certain amount of minutes, but what you are saying is, I am willing a bond slave by choice for the rest of my life, and I'm committed to this master and his house. And so when he's asking us to be servant of all, Jesus has already take the piercing, but one of our confessions is we deny ourselves and our flesh, we take up whose cross daily? Our own. We take up our cross and follow him. So to be a servant, I have to take my flesh to the cross on a daily basis, maybe several times a day. Kingdom greatness. The instruments of kingdom greatness, and I'll move on, are a towel and a foot washing bowl. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the one that was about to go and die for our sin and descend into the depths and defeat the enemy and break his power and authority and deposit sin and death and, and, and eternity in hell and sickness and bondage and all these things, he bent down took off his outer garment and picked up the towel in the foot washing bowl and he washed the, the feet of the disciples. Now, have you ever thought about who he washed? He knew him after the spirit, not after the flesh. But if you want to get to know them in the flesh, he washed the defeat of a betrayer. He washed the feet of a denier, Peter. And he washed the feet of ten deserters. servant love. Now, why did he do it? Because he knew that what he put in them, that that's what they would rise up and become. They would become gods in the eyes of God. So how do we grow strong in the body of Christ? Love one another and serve one another. Encourage one another. That's the next one. Would you go to the book of Romans, which is back to the left, about three books, or if you've got your electronic device, find Romans. And go to chapter 14, because let's talk about encouraging one another, and we've got something fun we'll do here in just a minute from three people here in the body. I've asked them to give a simple word of encouragement. They prayed this week and asked the Lord to point some people out, bring them to mind, and they have a, a, a little 30, 60-second encouragement for, for some of you. But the word encourage, Romans 14, 19, says this, So then we pursue the things which make for peace. Now the word peace is a reine in the original Greek, and it literally means to be in right relationship with. Think about it. When you're right with God and you're right with people, what do you have? When you're not right with God and you're at odds with people, what do you not have? You don't have peace. So Part of what we learn to do as we one another one another is forgive and walk in peace. He says this, so then we pursue the things which make for peace 
and the building up of, the encouraging of one another. You're there by chapter 15. Let me just read to you verses 1 and 2 right across the page. Chapter 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear the weakness of those without strength and not just please ourselves. You see it again. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, for his edification. It's the word encouragement again, same word. And then, if you will, in chapter 15, look at verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish or build up one another. So this word encourage literally means to impart and give courage to people. It also means to build up, not put down or tear down, and it also means to admonish. And when you admonish someone, you're challenging them to do the right thing, okay? So as we encourage each other, um, I've asked three different people, and uh, Ben, you'll be up in just a second. But Andrea, if you will, come and model a word of encouragement. Uh, God gave me a word for you, Bryn, um, and the word he gave me was excited. There's a lot of excitement surrounding you, and he gave me a picture of, um, you know, that scene in Cinderella <laughs> when she's in her rags, and then all of a sudden, the swirls go around her, and she's in a beautiful gown, and she's a different person, and she's clothed differently, and she even holds herself different. There's excitement in what he's doing in you, and your heart is excited for him, and his heart is excited for you, and he gave me a little bit of a feeling of what he feels for you. My heart actually sped up, <laughs> and I had to catch my breath, and that was just like a little bit of what he feels for you. It's so deep and so much, and his heart is bursting with excitement for you. In um, 1 Chronicles 16.10 and Psalm 105.3 says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. And Philippians 4, 4 and 5 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. And that's what he gave me for you. Amen. Yeah, that's what you tell. So I'm just curious. Are, are you encouraged? Do you feel built up? Yes, okay. So if it's all right, I wanted to walk over here. and uh, um, This is Daniel. This is my brother. Um, and he's kind of shy. So I felt like the Lord gave me a word for you. Would it be all right if I shared it with you this morning? Okay. So I don't know if you know this, but this week was Daniel's birthday. And he's 17 or 18 now? 17. And uh, for those of you who don't know Daniel, he is uh, kind of introspective. He does a lot of thinking, but he doesn't always talk a lot, but he's always pondering uh, the world, and he learns a lot by watching things, specifically watching people. Um, and what he watches, he really, he really grabs a hold of and remembers. Um, also, the last 12 or 18 months has been a bit of a challenge. He's finishing up his adolescent years, I guess you could say, school and deciding what he wants to go on and do. And it felt like the Lord gave me two things for you, Daniel. Um, the first thing he showed was that the last 
year has felt a lot more like boot camp than like your adolescent years closing out, right? For those of you who don't know, uh, John Peters, his dad is a former military man, and uh, I have a sister who is a soldier and a father-in-law and several of my friends. And of course we know boot camp is, is a challenging time when you're a soldier. I, I almost joined the military myself. And most people think that boot camp's there to take a young man or, or woman and break them down to the foundation so the military can bring them back up to what they want. And that's partially true. But when it comes to adolescence, um, the young men and women who join the military have only ever known what they've known in their childhood. And what they lack a lot of times is an understanding of the broader world. I have two kids. I have a four-year-old little girl named Zoe, and she has almost no idea what's going on outside of her little existence, right? She knows that daddy has a job, but she has no idea what mommy and daddy do. She goes to school. Um, she might actually believe that, part in part, that when she watches Tinkerbell, that that stuff is actually real because that's her only understanding. So part of what boot camp is is to teach these young and men, women, women, you know, yes, you're important and you've been told your whole life that you're special, but there's also a unit and a platoon and an army and a country and a world. And the job you're doing is so vitally important to all those people. So I know it's been tough, and you're almost done, okay? And I'm so proud of you that you're, you're almost there. And this word is not going to be necessarily maybe what you want to hear, but I feel like the Lord is extending an offer to you. When a young army soldier is done with boot camp, it's really important at that point that they buy into the process because the army is paying them and investing money to train them. And when they're done with boot camp in the Army, the next process is a, is a phase called AIT. Now, AIT stands for Advanced Individual Training. And it's almost the exact opposite idea when you think about it from boot camp. Where boot camp is trying to tear you down to a foundation, AIT is installing specific skills for what you're going to be doing. My sister was a medic. She went to medic AIT. My buddy was an Air Force mechanic, so they sent him to a school to teach him how to work on a plane that was flying 10,000 feet off the ground. And I feel like the Lord is saying, this 18th year is going to be very important. You have a lot of external voices talking to you in your head or whatever. But he's offering that if you want to buy into him, to really pursue him. I know you want to know what you're created for. And I know you want to know more about him and how he created the world and how it all works. I think he's offering an AIT specifically for you. So that was the first thing. The second thing was, he gave me two words. You're called to be a specialist. In the military, when you're a specialist, you have a skill that other people don't have. So when you get into a specific situation where you need something done and not all the soldiers can do it, they'll call the specialist in. 
I believe at times you felt like you're diminished because of all your siblings and you're kind of the last one. And you have incredibly talented siblings, athletes and leaders and farmers and builders in your family, and you're special too. But you may not know what that special is yet. I believe the Lord wants to spend time telling you what that special skill is. And the word I have, and I don't know what this is, I just invite you to take it back, study Proverbs 3, and I think the Lord wants to show you this himself, but I feel like he said he will call forth things that have never been. And the idea I got was either an entrepreneur or an artist or an inventor, but you're very intelligent. There are things in your head that other people cannot imagine. And the Lord has put him there because that's part of your calling, but I don't know what they are. So I just want to encourage you with that. And is, is it right if I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Daniel. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his friendship with me. I admire him. Lord, please help him in this time. Anoint him with your spirit and strengthen him with courage. Lord, teach us all the special skill that you put in us and help bring us to a closer relationship with your son. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can give that to Patty Kim. It's interesting because I asked these three, I have no idea who they're going to speak to or what they're going to share, but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak through the body. Um, where's Charles? Is he in a classroom? or? Did he slip out? Did he go? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> All right. Well, then I had a secondary thing okay, that's fine. to encourage the body with today. So let me find it here. Oh, dear. Now I can't find it, but I know what the story is, so I will just tell you here. It was uh, the story about Jesus. It's in Matthew when he uh, had sent the disciples to go from one side to the other. And in the middle of that, they looked out and they saw a ghost, or what they thought was a ghost, walking on the water. And they were so frightened and they were terrified, is what the Bible says, and they screamed out in terror. And Jesus, it says in one of the um, translations, actually was going to walk on by them. But when he saw that they were terrified, he immediately stopped and he said, stop, don't be afraid, stop. There's something about fear and intense fear, which is terror, that stops us from being able to have faith and from being able to go forward with the Lord in our lives. And so whenever in our lives we are confronted with terror, with fear, those type of things, um, I just want to remind you all that that is not from the Lord. What is from the Lord is faith. And 
always pointing to the future, he always has a plan, not just for us, but for whatever the situation is. I'm a nurse in Fort Smith, and I've been a nurse for 44 years, so I'm one of the old birds. And I've seen a lot of things come and go. But at this present time, one of the things that is really whipping up a lot of terror and panic is the coronavirus. It's also called COVID-19. And it has caused so much fear and panic in Christians as well as non-Christians. Now, it is a very difficult thing because it's new and because um, we haven't exactly seen it on our shores before now. Uh, they had something similar in SARS, but that stayed outside the United States. And MERS, a couple of years ago, remained in the Middle East. But now a few of these things have trickled to our shore. And so what I would say is uh, we need to look to the Lord. And the way that we really listen for him is just like you would be listening for someone calling you with the most important call ever. Some call. You'd carry the phone with you. You'd have it right by you. Your ear would be listening. You would be intensely focused. Even if other things were going on around you, you would be listening for the word of the Lord to come to you and comfort you. This week, my husband was talking to me about something that I thought was um, really good, and it encouraged me. He's been studying the prophets, and um, he was bringing out some things that really touched my heart, and I'll let him share here in just a minute about that. But one of the things that really brought comfort to me was that whenever God said he was going to judge a people or a group, and there have been some rumors that this COVID-19 is a judgment of God, but I think we have to be very careful about what we put God's name to and say, God wants this. Remember, in past times, God spoke to us through the prophets, but now through his son, Jesus Christ. And our Savior said that he came not to steal, kill, or destroy, but to bring life and to bring it abundantly. But when the Lord brought a judgment, even back in the Old Testament, then he wanted somebody to stand in the gap. You look at Jonah. He sent Jonah to pronounce judgment on a whole group of people. And what happened? Noah said, I knew you were going to have mercy on them, so I ran. And then he ended up getting swallowed by the whale. And we know that whole story. And sure enough, they repented and God had mercy on them. And remember uh, when Moses when God said he was going to destroy all the Israelites because of their behavior, Moses fell on his face, prostrated himself, and called out on behalf of his people. And so I'd like Al just to finish this this morning and talk to us a little bit about the mercies of God. You said it all. <laughs> but... Uh, like Patty said, uh, throughout the ministry of Moses, when uh, the grumbling or the open uh, sin of the people, he was immediately on his face uh, before the Lord, not just for them, but for the, the fact that uh, the Lord's name would not be 
should I say, smeared from all from all the nations around there, and it even passed on that attitude to Joshua uh, when confronted and so forth. But what I've studied is so far in the prophets is the fact that uh, it's always a two-sided coin. That uh, just like in Deuteronomy, there are promises of blessing if. Uh, if people will follow the Lord, and uh, of course, obviously, if they rebel, there will be judgment. But the issue in all, in I'm reading right now in, in studying Joel, that it's always this thing of saying, "Hey, yes, uh, God is concerned, and God is uh, maybe uh, ready to pass judgment." But there's always that back door, should I say, of, of being able to seek the Lord, and uh, as Patty already said, even better than I can, that do not to be fear, but to trust, just trust the very nature of the Lord in, uh, in the situation. Well, you can go ahead and just turn it. All right. Well, thank you for different approaches to encouragement, and... Um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to speak to something. See, we're not under judgment. Jesus has become that judgment. And until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, so perhaps SARS is the enemy or people of wickedness that have been loosed on the earth. And I know there's lots of opinions on this, but we'll stick with the word because Jesus has bore the judgment until the day when those things are released at the end of the age. Our job right now, is to be bringing as many people to Christ as we can. That's our job. Okay, I want to finish this morning, and uh, then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Love one another more than we love ourselves, sacrificial. Serve one another. Greatness is being the servant of all. Encourage one another, and there's all kinds of ways to encourage and build up and admonish and instill courage in people. Let me finish with this one. Hebrews chapter 10, if you'll find your way there, last place we're going to turn, and we'll wrap up this morning. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 5. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. If you have a King James Bible, it says provoke one another. Another translation says stir up one another. And so I brought you a mental picture this morning. This is a big spoon, and I want to stir you up to love and good deeds. Because the word for stimulate means to incite to a righteous riot. It means to come alongside someone and embolden them and get them to take steps of faith to do things they wouldn't normally do. And so what I'm encouraging us to do this morning is to stir one another up to what? Love and good deeds. So... I have to tell you a little story. A number of years ago, the man that's my mentor has been with the Lord 10 or 11 years now. They have an older daughter, Jalissa. She's 42. She has a brother, Jeremy, that's now 40. But years ago, he was pastoring in Carlsbad, New Mexico. I followed him there. It's been 25 years ago. It's been kind of amazing. But Jalissa had this way about her that she would goad her younger brother and she could somehow stir him up to do things he probably shouldn't do. 
So running through Carlsbad is the Pecos River, and they've dammed it up, and it's this big lake in the middle of town, and people water ski and all sorts of things. But below the dam, the river is probably not any wider than this building and sometimes more narrow. But Jalissa had just gotten her first vehicle, and it was a pickup truck. And she convinced Jeremy that she could tie a rope to the back of that truck and that she could drive along this road right next to this little river and he could water ski. I want you to get the picture because this is true. (laughs) And so, and he's like, I don't know, sis. Now, Jeremy worked for a major cell phone company. He has a master's in computer science and a master in electrical engineering from um, Texas Tech, and he's brilliant. He was actually a part of the three-person team when a cell phone could first be used like a a debit card to get a Coke or whatever. He is literally one of the people that designed that. He's a smart guy in his head, but Jeremy didn't always have common sense, okay? And Jalissa just knew how to goad him, okay? So they had a nickname for each other. She would goad him, and she was Garfield the cat, and he was Bubba Odie, okay? And so she convinced him that he could water ski by on a rope pulled behind her truck. And so she loaded him up. He sat back in the water. She revved it up, and there was about a mile road there, and she was going lickety-split and all of a sudden realized at the other end that someone had locked the gate. And so she gets close, and she slams on her brakes, And Jeremy all of a sudden realizes that she's no longer pulling. And quickly what's coming are these two concrete abutments for the bridge that's going across the road. And so he needs to stop himself. But when you're in those panic moments, he let go of one hand on the rope. And when it finally caught up, it swung him around and he hit the abutment. He broke his nose and knocked himself out. I mean, he had the life jacket on and they were able to rescue him. But she had the ability to stir him up (laughs) to do things that were a little bit over the top. Now, I tell you that story. He is fine today. He did break his nose. They had to go in and work on the septum and and different things. But to this day, even though their mom and dad are with the Lord, I will see them occasionally at a mission function, and they still tease each other about being Garfield and Bubba Odie. Okay. Listen, this whole idea of stirring up and stimulating one another is to do righteous things, not water ski on a rope behind a pickup. (coughs) But I want to encourage you that we can partner. There are things we can do in the area of serving people, helping people, giving, uh, missions, all kinds of things that go on because we're able to come alongside and stir and stimulate one another to love and do good. Okay, you've got something you want to share. Okay, you were going to do it at the beginning, but uh, you want to do it now? All right, I'm going to let him bring us, and I'll close us out. Um, I was late this morning, and Tony, when he prepared these other um, people to talk, he'd asked me to open us with prayer and maybe share a scripture, and I really wanted to get this in because I thought it was unique with his message, Um, and I'm going to tell a small story. So I worked for a forklift company, and I was in operations, and I worked real close with the sales. And, um, and there was a sales rep um, that 
I was able to help facilitate a larger customer come to our company, and he was a key account rep, and he handled WeSee across the United States, and um, he um, he was very good at what he did, very talented, maybe the best you've ever seen in a boardroom meeting, getting somebody to buy something, and um, he also was very possessive of of what he did and maybe wanted that credit it seemed like a lot for that and in doing so if anybody else shined he might have a tendency to um, belittle them or, or bring them down or say things and I, I think I kind of got in his sights at times and there was another guy that saw this happening and he and so and he was in sales and he he was intimately working with this account and different accounts with us and he would watch my response you know, to this guy over the years. And, man, there was times where he just made me mad. I don't know how else to explain it. You know, just really fired me up. But I would shake it off, and he was very uh, he was very likable. So he was kind of really easy to like this guy, too. Um, so I would just shake it off, and I wouldn't let it bother me. And I would treat him the same and, uh, and continue liking him and being very friendly to him. And... Um, this guy, he would even ask me about that, you know, sometimes. And I would say, you know, it's not about me. And I would talk to him about Jesus and, and the kingdom and, and different things. <clears throat> this guy I'm telling you about that would ask me about this over the years of, of seeing this kind of behavior over and over. He would say um, he ended up, his marriage of almost 25 years ended. And he called me when I was leaving the company to talk to me about it. And I was able to pull over on the freeway on an interstate somewhere, um, I think in Indiana, and uh, led him to Jesus uh, through prayer. And uh, I used to say to God, I would get frustrated myself sometimes with feeling like a pushover. You know, there's some scenarios where I feel like a pushover, like I take stuff too much, and why aren't I mad about that? But then there's other areas where I, where I anger too quick, you know, and I need to get that in check. Um, but the other night, and it was before Tony had asked me about this, I was falling asleep in a hotel room, and it hit me that I asked for God's heart, and then I get aggravated about at myself about being a pushover, and man, God's a pushover for us, right? And, and all we got to do is just uh, is say we're sorry and confess that he's ours, and um, so, I, so then I, I immediately sat up in that hotel room and said, God, I'm sorry. I said, thank you for giving me your heart. Please continue to make me a pushover for people, like if that's you, if that's what you look like. And the scripture that I had was Romans 12, and it's verse 20. And it says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals upon his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome with evil, but be overcome with good. And that heaping coals on their head is referencing stoking their fire and showing them the example, regardless of how they're treating you with how you treat them, that you're, you're kindling inside of them that, that Christ and, that God, and, and God and who God is in them to you know, maybe come to that. And it reminded me of that guy that called me and I was able to lead him to Christ. He, he had you know, went to church when he was a kid and, you know, and do this, all this kind of stuff. So it was just kind of rekindling and seeing some, you know, him being able to see that. So anyway, that was long-winded, but I wanted to share it today because I really felt like I was supposed to with, with what 
was going on. So the Holy Spirit helped me to learn to love. And uh, can you do it in the flesh? You can ask my wife. I'm horrible. Um, man, I mean, driving, uh, driving down the road, I get mad at somebody for cutting me off and you know or whatever but i guess if i get to know you and see any ounce of anything and you can pretty much walk all over me i, I don't know <laughs> so <laughs> but you just don't cut me off on the road but i don't know <laughs> I, I need to be better at that so <clears throat> why don't you stand appreciate your patience it's been good to have people participate want to just encourage you love one another may the lord help us love people more than we love ourselves and it's surrender as well as commitment because it's sacrificial. And it's in the deed. Serve one another. And the idea is not to be great, but to be the servant of all. How many people can we serve and better and lift up and, and encourage? The third area, encourage, is, is, is this area of building up and admonishing and giving courage and helping people step in. And the fourth area is this spoon here because we're about to go and we need to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Listen, the times are challenging. Difficult days are coming. Time is going to come when he who is worthy is going to break the seals and judgment will be released. And we're approaching that day. I don't make light of that. But we need to work while there's still day because night is coming and no one can work. And judgment will be it's by the mercy of God that his hand has saved because many people need to come in. But let's not abuse the grace of God. We need to begin to say, Lord, how do you want to use me? Be blessed in it. So bow your head a minute. I want you to remember a picture we started with. And that is a bucket with a pipe sticking out of it. And that pipe may be 25% of the way down. I don't know. But what God does is he blesses and allows you to enjoy that blessing and take care of your family. But he wants that pipe to flow out because there's a certain amount of those blessings that he wants you to use to be a blessing to other people. It's not just money. It's gifts. It's time. It's talent. Um, it's service. It's what we talked about here today. And so as we get ready to close, would you take just 15, 20 seconds and just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. And I want you, I give you permission to make me a blessing. So Lord, I thank you that the church is not a building or a program. I'm grateful for this building. I'm grateful that we can offer some things to people uh, that uh, maybe are organized that, that are a blessing. But the greatest function of the church is the relationship with you and the connectedness of each other. And I ask that you would bring us together in units of two, three, team, whatever that looks like, and that you would release us to be a blessing to many, many people in the surrounding area. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you for being here. Thanks, everybody, for participating.